because we love you and you're not alone. That's it. John, it's your turn. All right. Thank you very much. And it is Asia's Hope Sunday. So, and a lot of you know exactly what Asia's Hope is all about, and some of you have no idea what Asia's Hope is all about, and some of you have something of a hint of what Asia's Hope is all about. Uh, I am John McCollum. I'm here at the church. Uh, this is my church. I'm also a co-founder and an executive director of an organization called Asia's Hope, and we work in Cambodia, Thailand, and India, and we provide family-style care for orphaned and vulnerable kids. And Asia's Hope is a ministry that is not, not only is Asia's Hope a ministry that's dear to our church, but our church is very dear to Asia's Hope. It has some unique uh, uh, relationship over time uh, with Asia's Hope. So I'm going to basically take, I don't know, I asked Katie how much time I have. She said 30 minutes, but you can go a little bit long. And I said, well, I'm at four hours yet when I was prepping. And she said, you ought to cut it a little bit from that. So, but. Uh, so I'm really, uh, by the way, uh, I'm going to reference uh, some things with Asia. So if you, if you want to figure out like our website, more things, I have put back right behind the Christmas tree and right by the offering box, there's this thing that says flourish on it. There's also a postcard. I'd encourage you pick one of these up and then you can uh, at your leisure uh, read a little bit more about the things we're doing as an organization. Um, but uh, I'm so glad that Adrian... Uh, talked about that passage because that actually leads directly into some of what I want to uh, reflect on this morning. Uh, the passage that Adrian was talking about, I'll give you guys a little bit more context. I think you might have a slightly longer attention span than some of the kids, although maybe not all of us. Uh, but it comes from Matthew 22. Uh, and she talked about people trying to trick Jesus. And so the way that sets up is that um, there were in Israel, and they were under the Roman rule, uh, but the, the Romans had given uh, Israel and the Jewish people a certain amount of self-governance. And so there was this really important body of, uh, of, of thinkers and teachers and sort of religious legislators uh, in kind of a Congress, kind of a two-party system Congress called the Sanhedrin. And uh, there were two groups in the Sanhedrin. There were the Sadducees, and they were kind of conservative, and they literal interpretations. Uh, they tended to have the, the priestly caste, and you had the Pharisees, which were more uh, invested in the oral tradition of Judaism and the oral interpretations of the laws, uh, and more kind of a working class sort of group. And they would sort of together hash out uh, what rules the people had to follow and, and how uh, people ought to be even relating to the Roman government. Every aspect of life the Sadducees were involved, or the, the Sanhedrin was involved in, and they, they really were alarmed by this Jesus character. Because every prominent rabbi or priest or, or religious leader had kind of come through their system, through one of these parties. They'd come through the system, and this Jesus guy comes along, and he's got a real, a real following. And they've listened to him to speak, and they were astonished, it says, uh, in some of the Gospels, which are the four biographies of Jesus written by four of his followers. Um, they, 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 he spoke with power, and he spoke with authority, he spoke with insight, and he actually had like spiritual power, like he could do miracles and things, and they were really alarmed. They don't know where he came from. They don't know what seminary did he go to, which of you did he study under, who gave him the authority, who gave him permission to go out and preach. And so they're always trying to trick him. They're always trying to catch him up, and they're always trying to drag him into their arguments. Because they, you know, both parties were committed to Judaism, they're committed to the, uh, to the Hebrew scriptures, they're committed to, uh, you know, to the good of the nation, but they disagreed about everything. Um, and they're trying to get Jesus, sometimes I, I think maybe because they were trying to co-opt him. Maybe the Sadducees would go, if we get this Jesus guy on our side, we can finally, you know, uh, suppress the fair, whatever. 
They were, and, and in this chapter, uh, I'll read this. This is Matthew 22, 34, and I'm starting kind of in the middle of the story, but it says, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, so he had, they tried to trick him and ask him a bunch of uh, questions to drag him in, uh, the Pharisees got together. They're like, let's have our whack at him. And one of them, who's an expert in law, tested him with, and another translation says, uh, attempted to frustrate him. Uh, but uh, tested him uh, with this question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And, uh, you know, this is a complex question. You know, if you had to focus on one thing, what would it be? And, and this, is, this, was, uh, you know, this was meant to test Jesus, but this wasn't really a theoretical question because they had all sorts of opinions on dietary rules, on sexual rules, on political engagement rules, on all these different things that you have to do, and they argued about them ad infinitum. And Jesus kind of he refused to answer their questions. One thing that's interesting, if you read the Gospels, those four biographies, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus is recorded as having been asked 308 questions. Do you know how many he answered directly? Three. Three. Uh, this one, what's the greatest commandment? Um, how should we pray? And are you a king? But the other ones, they would ask him a question sort of like, hey, what, what's worse? What's the worst crime? Is it rape or is it murder? And he'd say, Okay, so there was this farmer, you know, and he would tell some story, and he would tell some agricultural story, and it frustrated them. Uh, so they asked him, I mean, and, these, and, and, and so these are real questions that were debated. I mean, Jesus criticizes these guys, and he says, you guys are tithing, you're mint and you're dill. There were actually some people who would, they would go and they'd get their groceries, or they'd harvest their herbs, and they would set aside a tenth of it, and they would take that, and they're like, this is super important. If, no, if everybody does this, they'll be right with God. Anyway, um, so how can you possibly answer this question without being drawn to their fray? Jesus uh, offers this really simple, not easy, but simple answer to a complex problem. Uh, and that question is, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second one is love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, all the law and the prophets, all that stuff you guys argue about, uh, hang on these two uh, commandments. And so Jesus just cuts through all that noise and answers this, uh, gives a simple answer, but one that has really radical uh, implications, right? I mean, it, his answer kind of changes everybody, especially in the context that was asked, because, you know, it, it sort of says, what if I don't have to build some complicated multi-layered rules system with multi-party, you know, parliamentary uh, interactions. And what if I don't have to do all of that? And what if, what if I don't have to tithe my, my mint and my dill? Um, you know, uh, what if I just have to, 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 to be right with God? I have to commit myself to loving God and loving other people. He says everything else hangs in on that. So, you know, what that means to me is that, you know, you can spend all your time trying to follow all these rules, and you may never get to loving God and loving people. As a matter of fact, the more you focus on those things, I suspect, the less you're going to ever get to that. that you, the pathway isn't that, but, but if you really commit your life to loving God and loving other people, all these other things, you are going to take care of each other. You're not going to murder each other. You're not going to take advantage of each other. And so Jesus... Uh, 
Jesus gives us that. And it also guides us into that question of, okay, what next? I mean, if you're focused on all this stuff, you're never going to get into like the deep and important part of the kingdom of God because you're always going to be distracted by this. So now we have this and we go, now what do we do? Uh, and that's what Adrian said. It's not easy. We know this, but now we, now we get to the real work. So today I'm going to talk to you about Asia's Hope. Our church's partner with Asia's Hope, uh, the unique relationship Central Vineyard has had through Asia's Hope. We're entering our third decade. Unique partnership all the way through our founding years, our fortifying years, and now as we enter, you'll see this says flourish on this, our, what we hope will be our flourishing years. And, and, and Asia's Hope has developed our unique model of orphan care based on another simple answer to a complex question. So I'm going to do what Adrian did with the kids, uh, except with you guys. Some of you know my answer to this question. And if you do, hold on for a second, Let, let's, this is not a trick question, um, because all those rules that the kids talked about, those aren't wrong answers, but there is a writer answer. And so my question is this, if you are an orphan child, a child whose parents had died, especially in a developing country, uh, or you were abandoned by your parents, or, or your parents were trafficked, or they were in prison, and you are an orphan child, you don't have any adult who can or will provide uh, parental level of care, what is your greatest need? Like, like it, uh, there are a lot of things you need, but what do you need? Like, what, like what is the greatest need? Somebody who doesn't already know my answer, yes, what, what's your answer? Love and acceptance. Okay, love and acceptance, great. Anyone else have any ideas? Yes, Cindy. A sense of belonging. A sense of belonging. Yeah, that's great too, absolutely. Food and shelter, absolutely. Someone who cares for you. Safety. Yes, yeah, so all of these things are really important. You know, I, I tend to think of it like a circus tent. You know, you've got all these poles, right? All of these are really important. But if you don't have that one central pole, you don't have a tent. <laughs> you know? If you, if you haven't figured, and that's sort of the thing with Jesus. He says, all the law and the prophets hang off this one thing. If you don't have that simple, that pull up the middle, you don't have a tent. For Asia's Hope, our answer was, yes, food and shelter is important. Education is important. Uh, psychosocial care is important. All these things are essential. The most important thing, what does an orphan child need more than anything else? Family. Family, to not be an orphan anymore. I mean, it almost sounds like, okay, yeah, okay, got it. It's a trick, trick question, trick answer. But that was a revolutionary thing for us, that what, that what an orphan child needs is to no longer be an orphan. And so uh, that's how, you know, not, not, to, not to live in an institution, not to be in some sort of Cinderella uh, situation where you're brought in by a distant family member, but, but, but you're always the servant to the rest of the family. An orphan child needs a real mom and dad, uh, you know, and a real family. So when I talk about Asia's Hope, uh, how many of you have ever been to uh, uh, visit Cambodia with Asia's Hope? A few of you. But what I want to do is I want to play a short video because most of you haven't. And if you didn't hear Asia's Hope, I think some of you might not know if Cambodia is in Africa uh, or South America. I didn't know for many years, but it's in Asia. But I want to play this short video uh, just so you can get a picture of the faces and the sounds and the places that we are, and then we'll talk the rest of the way. So we'll watch this short one. Oh, oh, one thing also, I want you to pay special attention. You're going to meet a girl named Srey Ka in this video. And Srey Ka is a girl that would not uh, have had the life she has today if it wasn't specifically uh, for Central Vineyard investing in her life. So, uh oh, I see three people looking at the screen. Oh, there we go. I'm <laughs> 
My name is Rika. I am uh, one of the students who received the HS Hope Exemplary Scholar Fellowship. And I am right now graduated from um, my master degree majoring in finance and banking. This is my teacher. This is my student. This is my school. This is my bedroom. This is my friend. But it's true, it's real, that we come from a poor family living with no um, happiness, no dreams, no hope, but we live here. We have a dream, we have hope, we have love, and I am graduate, I have a job, I have like a true love surrounded by um, my parents, my brother and sister. <laughs> This is my sister. This is my brother. This is my brother. But the thing is that we grow older. And I am grow older. The love that we receive is still the same. This is my home. This is our home. This is all my son. This is my dad. This is our dad. This is my daughter. They are my sons. This is my dad. So that's the answer to, you know, we're going to collapse a lot, 20-some years of ministry, but that's the answer to that question. What an orphan child needs more than anything else is to not be an orphan any longer. I want to give sort of an overview of history uh, of the church's involvement uh, with Asia Soap. I think back to 2006, Central Vineyard was just a baby church. Uh, we were meeting at the... Uh, Calumet School in the auditorium there. Uh, our church was just two years old. Uh, and uh, Asia's Hope was also just a baby organization. Asia's Hope uh, had started uh, in 2002. Uh, I was the co-founder. I'd met a pastor, went on a missions trip with him, and um, 
you know, and, and after the missions trip, I was like, wow, this is great. What's next? And it was kind of frustrating for my co-founder, uh, his name was Dave, uh, because he kind of had his hands full. He was taking these mission trip. He wasn't really looking beyond what was right in front of him. But as, you know, I nudged him and we talked to people around us, he said, if you really want to do this and if you're really willing to help, let's walk forward in faith and see what God does. And so... So back in 20, uh, 2006, Asia's Hope had been operating on a pretty small scale for about four years. Uh, I was still, uh, just, for, uh, just for context, uh, we, I still was about three years away from, for those of you who remember my company, Element Design Group, I was still three years away from walking away from Element. So I was still doing that full-time and doing Asia's Hope full-time. Uh, and, uh, you know, we'd accomplished... A fair amount. We'd started a couple homes in Cambodia. We were starting to do some work in Thailand. We had a handful of other projects. Um, but we were just beginning to grapple with the implications of this really simple answer uh, to our complex question about what an orphan child needs. If you have any experience with foster care, anyone with foster care experience, uh, anyone have any experience with adoption, international, domestic, um, you know uh, that Asia's Hope is very different. Um, you know, we don't age kids out. You know, we put kids into families permanently, uh, keep sibling groups together, put kids in, uh, and, and so uh, it's very, very different, and so we have this family-style care, and so in addition to what does an orphan child need as the question, one of the other questions uh, that, that we ask ourselves are, what are the implications of the golden rule? Jesus says, do unto others as you would have them uh, do unto you. So much of what we do at Asia's Hope, we have these types of questions at the board level, and, and with among our directors, sort of like, so if Corey and I die, and our kids were suddenly orphaned, what kind of environment would we want them to grow up in? You know, and, and, and we have these questions sort of actually become really operational. It's like, so how much should we give? How much should we invest in these kids? Should we just take them through when they're 16 or 18? Uh, should we pay for their university uh, uh, scholarships? The answer to all those has been yes, because we have this very simple question. It's like, what would we want to happen to our own kids? We've had situations where we've had kids that uh, sometimes, you know, it's tempting to give up on, and, and, and we've reminded stuff, did you give up on your son? You know, even talking to some of our directors and our staff, or asking me, when your son was going through this, what, how did you respond to him? And it refocused us back in. Um, so, but at that time, Asia's Hope had just kind of gone through a massive crisis. Some of you know the inside story, I can tell you later, but in Cambodia, we had broken up with our first set of Cambodian mission partners. Uh, they'd taken uh, the land that we'd bought for them uh, and basically kind of locked us out of this. Uh, we thought we were going to lose custody of all the kids we had, and we're at this sort of inflection point where we're like, are we done here? I mean, you know, is this God telling us that we shouldn't be here? Um, you know, but we decided through a lot of encouragement, uh, through prayer actually, with Jeff, uh, our lead pastor here, with people from the church, we decided, no, we're not done. We're going to keep on investing this. We hired Savorn, who's our national director, has been our national director since then. Uh, but we were just kind of hanging on. And in 2006, um, uh, Jeff asked me the so, same sort of question I had asked Dave. He's like, okay, so what's next? And I'm like, what's next, man? You know, I'm working two jobs. We have one person paid on our staff in America. We don't have any people pay, paid to do fundraising. We're just kind of hanging on. What do you, you know, what do you mean, what's next? He's like, when are we going to start? our next uh, uh, children's home. By the way, you know somebody is bought in when they say we rather than you. 
So like when you start talking about a church, and you're talking about people like, when are we going to do this together? What are we doing about this rather than what are you doing as the pastor or as the leader or as the people who've been here for a while? But he's like, when are we going to start our next children's home? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't ever want to get into this situation where we invite in a new group of kids and we say, this is a really your family. This is really your mom and dad. And then we run out of money. Right? Because if we're doing a coffee shop or even a medical clinic or something like that and we run out of money, well, we can scale it down and you know, people can get their coffee someplace else. We can pray that God will bring more doctors here. But when you take a child who once was lost and now is found, you say, this is your mom and dad. That's a pretty serious thing. And so Jeff said, um, well, why don't we do it? You know, the Central Vineyard, what, what would it take for us to do it? And I really, I kind of laughed because we were at that point in time, you know, a, a very small congregation. Not only were we a small congregation, we were much younger, Brian. We were much younger. And I would and I would say honestly, the median income at that point in time would be like Starbucks barista or freelance photographer or grad student was sort of the median income of a person at Central Vineyard Church. But we prayed about it, uh, and, uh, and, and if you don't know the story, here, I, I will recommend, if you get, pick up this brochure, uh, there's a link here, you can read here, double click on this link on the brochure, uh, and uh, there's a short film we put together, and we actually interviewed Jeff as a part of this short film, uh, sort of talking about the beginning days of Asia's Hope and the role that this church played. But long story church, the church all came together and said, yeah, we are going to take on that responsibility. John, this isn't you taking on this responsibility. What are you going to do? It's what are we going to took on this responsibility. And as our small church, we fully sponsored a home. It was the Prekang 2 home. It was the home that Shrek Ha grew up in. Uh, and we paid for everything that Srekha, her three biological siblings, and about 16 other kids needed from their shelter to their food to their clothing to their education. And we're still, for that first generation of kids, are paying for their uh, college education. So today, uh, because of what God did through uh, Central Vineyard and Asia's Hope, creating this model where churches, even small ones, can say, if we all work together, we can support another home and another home and another home. Asia's Hope has grown from two homes in uh, 2006 to 35 homes right now. From about 80 kids in full-time care, uh, fewer than 80 kids to more than 800 kids. And today, based on that kind of commitment, because we know that when we invite people into this sort of model, they fall in love and they give sacrificially, um, uh, we now have 225 kids who grew up at, in an Asia's Hope Home are now in university or vocational training, receiving full-ride scholarships. Most of them paid for by churches like Central Vineyard, some small like us, some big like Vineyard Columbus. Um, and so God has really uh, grown the ministry of Asia's Hope uh, through Central Vineyard at churches like Central Vineyard. A few years ago, some of you, I think most of you know this, a few years ago, um, we were looking to invite more people into this sort of sponsorship, but the time wasn't right for us to start a new home in Cambodia, and there was a, a Christian business uh, out in uh, West Plains, Missouri, that was starting to get involved, and they were dying to sponsor a home, and so we talked with Jeff and talked with the leadership team here, and they said, why don't we allow them to sponsor Prekang too? It was about the time for a next generation of kids as these kids were graduating high school. They started sponsoring this, and so what we did is we took our resources from Prekang 2 and now started to invest it in, into university students. So 
Uh, now in Phnom Penh, Prekang, you hear Prekang, it's a suburb of Phnom Penh. We have six homes and a school there. In Battambang, we have 13 homes and a school there. And uh, we have uh, now a university student center, which is sort of like a dorm. Uh, it's off campus, but it, uh, we allow the kids who grew up at Asia's Hope to come stay here. Uh, there's a Christian family who is sort of the dorm parents there. It's close enough that they can stay involved in their families at Asia's Hope, but they get a little bit more independence. They're in university, uh, and it gives them a little bit more freedom, a stable place where they can get more independence as they move towards independent adulthood. And uh, so this home, uh, Central Vineyard Church, uh, is the sponsor of this home that now has 78 university students in it. So 78 university students uh, are living in this home. Are, yes, thank you. That's great. Uh, are, are, are living in this student center, which is supported by Asia's Hope. Some of the funds for their food and that comes from the church uh, budgets that are associated with their homes, but we, you know, pay for uh, the rent, uh, a portion of the food, uh, help with transportation. Uh, we pay for uh, all of the operation of the storm, uh, the student center. And so, uh, and last year, and this is something which um, I'm not sure I'm supposed to share this, but uh, some people at Central Vineyard uh, provided the funds to buy a permanent home for the student center. So in the past, we had rented this student center, which is fine, it's great, but every few years, our rent either goes up so much or they decide they're gonna sell it out from under us, but now we have this beautiful home. It kind of looks like a motel. I'm actually showing you another video uh, where you can see this. And not only is it uh, perfect for the 80, 78, 80 kids we have now, but uh, we have uh, the ability and some plans to add a second story onto it uh, to potentially double the capacity of this as Asia's Hope continues to grow. And each of you are a part of this. And so, um, you know, uh, I think what I want to do here, why don't we play that second video? I want you to see now the student center. And this was uh, taken uh, just a couple months ago when I was in Cambodia. that I attend and they also support the student center. Let's pray. Stay together. We thank you for this food and we ask for your blessing in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
All right, I, I think I think that's it, it looks like it's recycling. So, but you see this beautiful place. This is a very much a central vineyard type place. Uh, if you came, you would see our values of acceptance, our values of love, our values of uh, of commitment for everybody being involved, our values for uh, for a good party. Uh, and this is something that. Uh, you know, that came about, oh, and, and, that, that came about because of your generosity. This is what our church is doing. This is what God is doing through our church in Cambodia. Um, and, and, and also, uh, I want you to stay engaged with this. If you don't follow Central, or if you don't follow Asia Soap on Facebook or on your social media, you ought to do that. Because actually in February, Jeff and Adrian and I are going to be going over to Cambodia to dedicate this new facility uh, that we have on behalf of uh, Central Vineyard Church. So, um, you know, what's my, what's my call here, you know? Jeff uh, has talked a lot about another transformational sort of simple principle, simple prayer. And that is, what can I obey, right? What can I obey? And so anytime we have these, these questions, they're not just theoretical questions. Okay, we know we're supposed to love God and love other people. Great. What's next? What can I obey? We ask the question, we begin to get these answers. Man, what would I want for my children if something would happen to Corey and me? We think about that. What's next? God, what can I obey? Right? What can I do? Uh, and so I wanted to encourage you, you know, uh, to join me in this prayer. Uh, I don't have any specific requests on behalf of Asia Hope because this church is so generous. If you are giving to this church on a regular basis, uh, you are supporting Asia Soap. You are stakeholders in this if you give uh, your tithes and offerings to Central Vineyard Church. Um, uh, and not just Asia Soap, to a lot of other fantastic things, including One Good Home, where we have uh, two houses in Columbus that we've opened up for, uh, uh, for refugees and immigrants here that they can live and they can get a path uh, to citizenship or uh, to uh, documentation, uh, and they have a place that they can be accepted and they can live here. So many things our church does in this community and around the world. And I just say, if you're not, if you're not currently a part of Central Vineyard Church, um, I would encourage you, uh, this is a place, we're not perfect, we're not, we're not the church uh, that uh, has everything all together all the time, but God has used us mightily around the world. God's used us mightily around the world, leading thousands, maybe tens of thousands of other people in other churches into obedience, just at Asia Hope, not to mention the other things we've been doing. So um, we're going to do communion here in a minute, uh, if we want to, or we have the, the worship team uh, come back up. Um, but I would say, you know, if you're not giving to Central Vineyard Church, um, it can, it's easy to be sen uh, sentimental. I wasn't authorized to make a financial pitch, and I'm not really doing that, I don't think. But it's easy to get cynical about churches and about people always asking for money. I want you to think about the kids and the staff of Asia Soap. I just want to encourage you that we are doing a good thing together. We're doing a good thing together. Uh, and it's, thank you, Kelly. And it's supported, why don't you stand with me? Uh, and it's supported uh, by uh, the generosity of people here at Central Vineyard Church. If you haven't found a church home yet and you're just like hanging out here, I can see you will you stick it out for a while? Stick it out through the awkwardness phase and give us like at least six weeks, you know, something like that. Uh, and I think you'll find uh, that, that, uh, that we are a church that rather than trying to make things complicated and rather than trying to pursue all of the rules and, and, and get bogged down into uh, the, the details that, that can get us oftentimes uh, distracted, we're a church that continues to go uh, the simple but radical route, and I, I want to invite you into that. So um, 
We're going to do a communion, then we're going to have time for prayer. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, meals. You saw the pizza party? The, the kingdom of God is most often, I think, fully engaged in around a table, not sitting in rows with a stage and some guy up here talking on a microphone. The kingdom of God is, is so fully engaged. That, that's why there, we have so many dance parties at Asia's Hope. That's why this Thanksgiving, after Thanksgiving meal, might be the most uh, holy thing we do all year is this meal we gather together uh, as a family. So when Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he gathered his followers together. They were besieged. They were frightened. Uh, they didn't know what was going to happen next. Uh, and, uh, and, and after the meal, Jesus took the bread uh, and he invited them to take it. And so if you peel off this little top thing, there's a bread-like wafer thing. Um, and, and Jesus broke the bread and he passed it around. And he said, this is my body broken for you. They didn't quite know what they were in for. They knew things were getting bad. Things were getting rough. Uh, and, and Jesus is starting to talk about his body being broken. And he said, uh, take, take and eat this body. And he took the wine. He passed it around. And if you peel this back, there's a little bit of grape juice to remind us of the wine. And he said, and as you drink this cup, you're drinking my blood. Another weird thing to say. And he said, I want you to keep on doing this until the day I come back again. When you share meals together, when you share together, remember that you are stakeholders in my, and they didn't know this yet, but in my crucifixion. You're stakeholders in my resurrection, and, and, and I'm giving you this promise that I'll be with you even to the end of the age, even after, even after I leave. So um, do this in remembrance of me. And so Jesus Christ, we thank you for your sacrifice for us. We thank you that you weren't just another religious or political leader, another a rabbi to follow uh, with all of your rules, or a politician with some agenda uh, that uh, served the powerful, but you came uh, as God in flesh, and you came and you laid yourself down for us, and you made a way uh, to have a relationship with God. Made a way through all the complicated gatekeepers and barrier holders, all the people who wanted to make it so only the experts got to play, only those uh, who uh, could engage in uh, all the detailed, nuanced debates could get, could get to uh, talk about the kingdom of God. You made that way wide open. Um, God, we thank you for uh, making that way for us. And so, God, we ask that you will uh, bless us uh, as we uh, uh, close out today in worship. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, so um, there are going to be a couple people on each side to pray. If you want to receive prayer for anything, uh, this is a weird thing we do here, but uh, we actually, you know, people always tell you, oh, I'll be praying for you, <laughs> you know? And so few people actually have people pray for them, you know? Tell people, I'll be praying for you, which kind of means good luck, God bless you, or something like that. Here we believe in actually praying for people. So the people over here aren't expert Christians or expert uh, prayers, uh, but if you have anything in your life, I know some of us are heading into a stressful week uh, of interactions with relatives. There may be real pain there, or we're choosing not to be with our relatives because of the pain and that. If that's something that you need prayer for, if you have physical needs, if you have relational pain, uh, if you have uh, financial needs, will you come and get prayer? And then also I would just call you. If you, when we're talking about some of this stuff, this, this you know, uh, this okay God, now I want to love, but I need something to obey. If that really spoke to you, there might be a couple people who are like, yeah, that's where I am. I just want to know what to obey. Come up and get prayer and, and you may get an answer. You may get healed. 
if nothing else, you've got another person who's acknowledged that this is uh, an important thing. And, and the Bible says when two or more are gathered and they pray, uh, God is there in a very special way. So I invite you into that. We're going to sing a couple songs, and then you're dismissed. God bless you. And grab one of these at the back, too.